Hello and welcome to Balance Life Well with Emily, a weekly podcast about all things mental health. I'm your host, Emily, mental health coach and founder of Balance Life Well. Each week, I'll be interviewing coaches and leaders in the mental health and wellness sector. These inspirational guests will be sharing their knowledge and top tips on different areas of mental health. Today we are joined by Susanna Birch, who is a mental health and domestic abuse advocate and speaker, as well as a birth doula and marketer. Susanna is also about to become an author, telling her story of growing up with a mother who experienced severe bipolar psychotic episodes. Welcome Susanna, I'm so excited to talk to you today. Hi Emily, thank you for having me on, I'm really looking forward to our chat. Great. So I shall dive straight in. Um, I'm aware that your family on your mother's side have a history of mental illness and bipolar disorder. Finding this out at a young age must have had quite an impact on you. Absolutely. And I found out in the most difficult way possible. So when I was two years old, um, my mother experienced her first psychotic episode and no one knew about mental health back then. It was the late 80s and the signs were there, but people just thought she was being a little too religious or she needed time alone or she was stressed having a toddler. But in reality, she was actually sliding into psychosis. So when I was two years old, she um, took a knife and she cut my throat after reading a story in the Bible where she believed she had to sacrifice me. And I was very, very fortunate in that she came out of the psychosis for long enough to ring the ambulance and an ambulance came and I had life-saving surgery. But I did end up with a tracheostomy tube in my throat for 11 years. And that's why my voice is a bit breathy as well. I think of my voice now as something that is part of my brand and who I am and what I'm known for. But when you're a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old, it's not fun to sound different than most other people. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. That sounds very traumatic. And... What was that the only sort of episode that you experienced growing up with her? Well, my father and I have always been very close because of this, but he was Christian. He had been married for, I think, six or seven years by that point, and he was raised to you're loyal to someone, you don't leave them. So my mum spent a year in a psych ward and the doctor said to my dad, it's a one-off, it'll never happen again, just make sure she takes medication. And he believed that it would never happen again and so he stayed with her. And she slid down into another psychotic episode when I was about 10 years old. And fortunately, she didn't hurt anyone, but she did take me to the other side of the country where my parent, where my grandparents lived. And um, it took my father several weeks to find out where we were. And, and he just got worse and worse and quite abusive towards her friends and family that we were staying with. And that was a point at the, which when my dad found us, I, I said to him, Dad, honestly, you need to divorce her. We don't need her in our lives anymore. She makes it worse, not better. And so I was 13, 14 when my parents divorced. 
and that's you know the fact that you've had to deal with that literally all of your life and you got to that point of, I mean 13 is quite still in my opinion young and, and to turn to your dad to say divorce divorce her you know when did you sort of realize what was going on with for your mum for me I guess the way I describe it is you know how you watch the movies where someone's possessed by an alien or a ghost that's kind of the way it was in my head as a child I knew she'd done bad things because I could remember them but at the same time it was I knew she wasn't my mother in the same way and I knew there was a good mother who taught me to sew and read and do all these things but I also knew there was a bad mother who came out as well and in my head it was like she was a possessed person so I I guess I always knew because I remembered what she did to me when I was two but my dad was amazingly supportive and he always said to me if you want to talk about anything talk to me we'd have long discussions I always understood her illness from a young age that's really good that your dad was able to support you through that and I think the fact that you were able to understand what's going on is sort of comforting even though you know it's a horrible experience but to know what is actually that she's actually got a mental illness rather than you know, just being a bad person overall, I think that can can be quite comforting. Um, were you able to have, during the times that she wasn't having her episodes, were you able to have a normal sort of relationship with her or were you just too up scarred really from what, what had happened to you? Well, a lot of people think that I don't talk to her anymore because of that first incident. But it wasn't till 2008 that I actually stopped talking to her. And that wasn't because of that. It was the fact that she, I guess she can be quite selfish about her illness. And there are a lot of cases where she would become psychotic or unwell and she'd do things that, that weren't very nice to people. She had lots of um, relationships with people, some of which were abusive towards her. She'd, she'd befriend people just randomly who weren't very good for her, who'd steal from her. And I guess for me it was about the fact that she wouldn't take the steps to help herself, and I couldn't have that in my life because I knew that if he was asking me a question and I shared a secret with her, if she had a psychotic episode, it would all come back and she'd use that against me. So I couldn't trust her whether she was um, well or unwell because I'd seen how she could be quite manipulative and really cause issues when she was unwell. Yeah, sounds like she almost sort of broke that trust. Yes, definitely. And I've seen her do it again and again. So I guess after a certain number of times, you've got to decide what's best for you and your family. And a year after I stopped talking to her, I had my first child and I went, well, I don't want her in my children's lives having to go through this seesaw of good and bad. Do we trust her? Do we not trust her? What's she going to do this week as well? Yeah, yeah I appreciate that. What sort of symptoms, apart from the sort of aggression, did you see from your mum when she was having episodes or even just day-to-day? Well, there are a few different ones, and 
it wasn't always the same. It, it could vary. But you usually have an obsession. So it could be something like natural health. Um, during what she did to me, it was the Bible. She was very obsessed with um, Isaac and Abraham in the Bible. And at different times, she'd have different obsessions and different interests. And so... Watching her really spend a lot of time on something was usually a sign, and she'd also get very, very outgoing to the point that uh, one time my father said, I don't want you going out because you drive around town and meet all these people, and he took her car keys away, and he ended up taking us to every neighbor's house in the street, over 20 people, and just talking to them all and spending hours at all their houses. So really... I guess going outside the social norms was always a big sign. And things like staying up very late at night, getting very hyper and creative and spending hours on the internet or doing, I I think she got into art and writing, but just not sleeping much, not eating properly, things like that. So... Obviously, that's had a huge impact on your life and and who you are as a person. What was it like going through, you know, because like you were saying at school, your voice was different. And when you're that age, if you haven't experienced things yourself, it can be very difficult to relate to people. And I can imagine that must have been really tough for you. Well, I was homeschooled till I was in year eight. So because I had the tracheostomy tube in my throat, I got sick really easily because when I breathed in cold air, it wasn't warmed by my mouth and nose like most people. It went straight into my lungs cold, so I'd often get sick. So when I had the chance to go to school after my parents divorced, it was definitely a bit of a culture shock. Um, Funnily enough, I mean, I went through a stage, and a lot of people don't admit this, they don't admit the fact that they actually use some of their trauma in their favour sometimes. And hey, if we're going to have trauma, we might as well use it sometimes. So I used to get out of things because I'd be like, I'm sick, my my tracheostomy is hurting me, or, you know, I can't do PE today because, oh, oh, very hard to breathe. So, yeah. Um, And I was very lucky. It was a small school, so there were a few people who weren't that nice. But overall, um, most of them were actually really good. Once they got past the weird questions. So I did get the tube out of my throat in high school. And um, a lot of people were scared to ask me questions or say, what is that thing on your neck? Um, But... It was a bit weird with guys, I will say that. I mean, when I was, when you're in high school, you want guys to like you and you want female friends and they're like, she's the one who had the weird tube in her throat, which wasn't fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. So obviously you said that you you understood what was going on with your mum from a young age and and you remembered that particular traumatic night. Did you, as a result, suffer from PTSD or any other mental illness after this trauma? I think I'm very lucky. I didn't suffer from PTSD. Um, I thought I might have at one point, but I have suffered from other things. So during my teen years was when I guess I really 
realize what had happened because when you're a kid you kind of don't think about and you compartmentalize and it's not real in the same way but as a teenager I started to question why did this happen why am I still talking to her and things like that so um yeah it was a complicated time when I was a teenager I was suicidal at one point when I was in year 12 um I did go through quite severe depression and self-harmed and when I got into my 20s even then I, I have anxiety and depression but as I've got older I've learned new coping mechanisms I've got a great psychologist so it does get better but I guess one thing that I always thought was you go and heal and you're fixed but healing is not something that you can reach it's not a destination it's really a process you learn new coping mechanisms appropriate ones and you kind of just move forward with it it'll never just magically go away yeah yeah I agree with that and I think it's a process that takes place over time and depending as well on you know we, we go through these different phases of, of grieving or realizing remembering different things and I think that that is part of the healing process and why it's not just a, a quick fix I mean as much as it would be great to click a button and our problems are gone it just doesn't work like that. No, and I think the other thing to keep in mind is that different events trigger different healing. So, for instance, I thought, oh, I'm all over this. I'm, I've dealt with my issues. And then I had my first child and I went through a whole different set of issues thinking about what had happened to me versus what I could do to my children. And when I got married and when I had different job roles where I was um, doing things I wasn't experienced with or when I had different amounts of power, things like that, and responsibility, all those different points in life bring up different issues. And even today, there are things that still bring up issues for me when I experience something new. Yeah, I can imagine. And you said that you have a psychologist. Is that something that has helped well it sounds like it's definitely helped you and what sort of tools have you implemented from from working with her or him <laughs> her um well coming up next year it's been 10 years since I started seeing her you know, honestly I went through five or six before that and I do have a tendency to talk back and um think I'm I'm smart sometimes and she's she's got five sons and um she knows how to call me on my bullshit and just go no no you've got to stop trying to make stuff up and block it out or whatever you've actually got to sit down and think about what you're doing and actually do the hard work which is fantastic um we've done all different therapies obviously talk therapy i've done cbt emdr and they're all useful in different ways so a lot of people go but shouldn't you just choose one that works well honestly they all work for different things so when an issue arises then you choose a therapy that's going to help you in the best way. And that might be a different therapy than what you're going to try in a year when a different issue comes up. Yeah, yeah definitely. And I think it's so important, something you, you mentioned there, that to try these different therapists until you find one that works for you and can challenge you on those things. Because I had a similar experience where I used to talk back to, to my therapist and think, well... <laughs> 
And then she every time she'd be like, "Well, that's not the truth, is it?" Is it? And then it forced me, and it was it was a good relationship because she would make me laugh. And then I'd think, right, okay, yes, you've got me again. <laughs> right, you've got to have one who knows to call you out yeah. when you need it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Don't let you lie to yourself. <laughs> so I'm I'm interested in knowing how you found uh, EMDR. So for anyone that doesn't know that, that's particularly used uh, to deal with trauma. And I'd just like to know what your thoughts were with that. Um, the first time I did it, um, I thought 10 minutes had gone past and she's like, no, it's the end of the session. We're done. And I went home and I cried and then I got a migraine and then I slept for 12 hours. So it was very, very intense. So it was a full on experience, but the few days after that, when your brain is unpacking things, it was amazing. And I've only done it three times I think but it really kind of rewires your brain and and gets your brain thinking about things in new ways that just make it feel calmer and make it feel okay which yeah I really like it's on my list of things I need to do again although it takes a whole session and usually I've got all this other stuff to unpack every session I'm like we need to go back and do EMDR again (laughs) yeah and I think, so when I left, um, I was in rehab, and when I left, they recommended that I get EMDR, but that I had to be clean for six months to do that, and, and now it's nine months, so I definitely need to sort that out. But um, one thing that someone mentioned to me is that it can give you flashbacks of the traumatic events. Is that something you experience? Because I think that can be quite daunting and intimidating for some people. I personally didn't experience that, but I've also been told I probably don't have PTSD. I know flashbacks are associated with PTSD, so I don't know. That's not a professional opinion, but I'm wondering if that might be linked. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Well, I'll let you know if I uh, get EMDR how it goes. (laughs) Good luck. Just just take the rest of the day off. Don't try and do anything on the day you have it. Okay, that's good advice. So um, what um, is your upcoming book about? I know it's about your story of growing up um, with your mother and I think that, in my opinion, is quite a courageous thing to do and it must have brought up many feelings whilst you were actually writing it or still in the process of writing it. Um, What would your advice be? As a child, it could be very difficult to speak out about these things to people, whether that's a teacher or, or a friend... Um, and it can also make it even more complicated if the relationship improves once you get older, so maybe those teens, early 20s. In your experience, do you think that people should raise light on this and bring it, bring it out in order to recover, so actually confront the person that's done this to you? Does that make sense? I guess... There's two parts to your question there. Firstly, should people bring this to light? And 100% yes. And one of the most amazing things that happens, which, you know, honestly, is also a little overwhelming. I've shared my story with the media before, and every time I do, I've got dozens of emails and messages from people who go, thank you, because 
I haven't been able to talk about it or I haven't um, felt it was right to take these steps or confront this person or do this thing or talk about something and it's given them the courage to do it. So if you do choose to come forward with your story, you'll find that so many people around you, people you've talked to every day, people you work with, are actually in similar circumstances and have experienced trauma in their lives as well. So... If you can do it, do it. But if you can't do it, that's okay too. It was I, I consider myself quite a strong, logical person when it comes to dealing with emotions and stress and issues. My friends come to me for logical answers, not a shoulder to cry on. But even for me, I had my story go viral around the world and there were emails and messages and there were new stories coming out in multiple languages and yeah, it was just overwhelming. Like that week was one of the worst of my life watching my story get changed and talked about and it was a very, very, very full-on process. So if you don't want to tell the world, that's fine. The main thing is that you're happy with your decision, whether that decision is just telling one friend or if it's telling your whole family or if it's taking legal action. Every way you go about it is going to have good outcomes and bad outcomes. But just do what feels right. And in answer to your question about if you should confront the person, um, I guess for me, having done it with both people, because I had another um, issue where I confronted a man in my life who was abusive. Um, it felt good to confront the people and it feels good to say, yes, I see you. Yes, I know what you've done. But the important thing to remember is that they may not be able to give you the closure that you need. So don't expect them to say, I'm sorry. Don't expect them to acknowledge it. Sometimes it's just got to be enough that you tell them, I know what you did. Yeah. Don't expect some magical closure. That would be my advice. Yeah. I also think on, on the flip of that, it's very empowering to, to say, I, I know what you've done and this is what you've done. I'm just thinking... So, for example, if, if you had an abusive member of your family and that was when you were in your childhood and now you're older, you, you speak to them, you've got like a level of respect to them, they're still around, they're still in your lives. What do you do then? Because I think it's hard to move on. Like, you, you need them to... If they're just ignoring it, you can't ignore it. And it's, it's a really difficult place to be in because you want to speak out and say look it's not right what you've done and what you've done did xyz and it's this is how it's impacted my life but at the same time it's like reopening all those wounds and and not having that that like as a, not having that respect for them still being in your life which is your decision does that make sense <laughs> well i guess this is why it's such a personal decision yeah. and I think confronting someone is something you should absolutely do if you're able to. Just do it in the way that feels right for you. Yeah. And 
don't just rush into it when you're in an inner mood where you're angry or you're really upset or even depressed. Do give it some thought first because often you can imagine how it's going to go and then when you actually do it, you're going to find out that the other person might not react the way you imagined it going in your head. So make sure you're in a strong place in yourself and that you've got a good support network for afterwards. And it might go great and it might make you feel amazing and on top of the world, but might not. So make sure you have either a good um, counsellor or therapist and a good friend network as well. Yeah, definitely. That's really good advice. So with the pandemic, I'm not sure what it's like over with you at the moment, but... It's seen an increase of people experiencing family violence and domestic abuse. If someone was in this position and they were still trapped within that, what advice would you give them? Well, it is a hard question because it's really, really difficult to leave a situation where you're relying on someone financially or for any kind of support. But... This is, I guess, the thing about when you have something traumatic happen to you, you don't realise how supported you are and how much people are willing to help unless you ask. And I know I myself am really bad at asking for help. And when I do, I'm always amazed that people go, no, absolutely, if you need me to cook you lunch, if you need someone to stay for a couple of nights, oh, you're visiting my town and you're speaking, then you can hang out with me at my house or whatever it is. And I know when you've been abused or traumatised, it's really hard to reach out. But if you can do that, you will be amazed by how people can help you. So if you are in an abusive situation, Don't be afraid to ask for help. And you don't have to leave straight away because that's a very big decision and it takes time to reach that stage. But don't be afraid to tell people and you might be amazed how much support you can get when you ask for it. Yeah, I think asking for help with anything is is vital and and it's just so comforting because everyone wants to help ultimately. Um, but it's, it's scary to, 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 you know, be that vulnerable sometimes. Definitely. Thank you so much for your honesty and openness in this discussion. If people wanted to reach out for you, to you or purchase your book, how can they do that? So... Um trying to get the book done writing it was the easy part and very cathartic and and a great experience it's the editing part oh no one tells you how hard that is but um you can reach me on basically any social media platform i love social media twitter is probably my favorite um i'm susanna birch on every platform or you can visit my website at susannabirch.com i'm sure the spelling will be in the description of the podcast somewhere definitely i'll link them both so that everyone can easily find you well thank you again susanna and thank you to our listeners for joining us today thanks emily thanks for having me and just remember people are there you've just got to reach out and that's difficult but Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope it has been helpful and inspirational. 
If you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate you taking a moment to rate and review us. And if you would like to find out more information about Balance Life Well, you can visit us at www.balancelifewell.co.uk. Have a lovely week. 